Going beyond the headlines? Getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Greetings and salutations, friends. Hope all is well with you and yours. We're back again with another episode of the Calgary Today podcast, where we focus less on the news and numbers around the COVID-19 pandemic and focus more on the community building and positivity. On the show this week, we spent a little more time focusing on where we go from here. In this episode of the podcast, we'll revisit our conversations about a so-called fourth industrial revolution, as well as what the sports world is going to look like, both from a youth perspective, as well as from the professional ranks and virtual graduations. But we'll start things off with a viral video, a love letter of sorts to the city. This is the Calgary Today podcast. My initial reaction to watching this video was, wow. That's absolutely breathtaking. It's called Voicemail from 2020, a visual love letter to Calgary, Alberta, and fellow Canadians. And while it is a video, the audio is just as striking. Take a listen. since we last saw each other. It just seems like forever since we last spoke. It's hard not to be reminded of our time together, especially with spring on its way. Things have been a little bit different this past month for everyone, and things have changed so much. It almost doesn't seem real. I know how resilient you are and how you've always had that can-do attitude. But I can imagine things being a bit tough, especially now. No one has really gone through anything like this before. But if there's anyone who can go through something like this challenge, it'd be you. I miss you so much, and I really want to be with you again. But I want to make sure we do so at the right time. I know we won't be able to do the things we planned on doing this year. That's okay. Don't feel too bad about it. I understand. The reason this country is so special is that we are there for each other. Especially during tough times. You know, this whole experience has really put into perspective what's important. It's not so much all the physical spaces, but people. Being in a community and just being together. Looking back, I know we're going to say it was the right thing to do. We're going to come out of this stronger and closer together. There's a lot of people all over trying to make things better, and they're really going above and beyond to make sure we're all okay. The least we can do is to do our part. Anyways, wish you all the best over the next little bit. Can't wait to see you again. Love you. 
That video created by Eric Gonzalez. And again, a, a piece of audio when you listen to it is is really striking. It's a different way of telling that story. And Eric joins us here on the program. Thanks so much for joining us. Take us back to the very beginning here, Eric. And what prompted you to want to tell the story in this way? Well, you know, um, thanks to our, you know, public safety experts and uh, allowing us to take a couple walks around town. And uh, I'd been doing so just to, you know, for mental health and uh, and just to get a little bit of fresh air and, you know, seeing the streets uh, and places that are been so part of what makes the city great. And, you know, you know, in the in the ways that they are right now made me think of, you know, the sacrifices that Calgarians and fellow Canadians have been making in the service of, you know, public safety. And, you know, um, I'm, I'm not a doctor, I, you know, I'm not a healthcare professional or anything like that. And, and so I wanted to be able to say thanks to all the people that have been making the necessary sacrifices in the way that I know best, which is the power of uh, a video. Where did you come up with the notion of using a voicemail as sort of the overarching theme for it? The voicemail, I, I figured since, you know, the city is, is closed for business, really. And, you know, I, I thought of all the businesses and organizations that have literally shut their doors. And, you know, what would happen if you gave them a call? A lot of them would have an answering machine there ready. Um, and so wanting to convey that uh, to the entire city of Calgary was, was sort of my inspiration for having that voicemail message be that, that lead character in the film. How difficult was that to kind of come up with that love letter? Was it pretty easy? Did it flow from the heart or did it take a few different tries? Well, the scripting actually happened in, over the course of one night. It, it kind of, you know, just you know happened it was like a channeling energy i don't know how to quite how to describe it but um it was able to put it together relatively quickly and it was actually you know the second take of the uh, voice recording that uh that's in the video as you see right now how long did it take you to gather all of the necessary video that that accompanies the audio uh, it took me about a week, um, but there was about a week beforehand uh, just trying to find places around the city of Calgary that I was going to be able to use the drone, given that uh, the city of Calgary had stopped issuing film permits for drone production. And so I had to find uh, property owners and organizations that would let me take off the drone from their place. One thing that I took away from it was you kind of get awestruck by just seeing how quiet it seems. Was that something that really took you by surprise as well? Yeah, I mean, uh, truth be told, I, I, I mean, certain parts of the days are a little bit quieter than others, but I def definitely did want to accentuate certain uh, parts of the city during that time to just complement the voice, uh, the voicemail, and wanted to select the times of day that really had um, those those strong, quiet li lighting aspects as well. But as uh, certainly did make me surprised to see, uh, you know, familiar places and uh, so so desolate. When you look back on it, did the finished product end up the same way as what you had envisioned originally? The, I mean, with any creative outlet, I mean, it always comes in pivots and turns and just trying to figure out a way to convey that message. And I think ultimately the message and the hope that we're going to get through this together uh, was there at the beginning. And I'm just grateful that I think it was there at the end. Were you surprised at all at the reaction from the the general public as they sat and watched it and retweeted it and shared it and, and really took a liking to it? 
Oh, I've just been extremely humbled that people have been able to uh, resonate with the feeling that I think all of uh, all Kilgarians have been able to to feel. And um, I'm just very proud that I was able to do that and hopefully give a little bit of hope for people. And uh, yeah. What's it meant to you to be able to parlay this message in such a unique fashion? It just makes me uh, proud to be part of the city and it uh, gives me the confidence to be able to go ahead with uh, the, the decision to go into the, this crazy world of film production and, and uh, media. You've got uh, the ears of the city upon us here with the with a radio interview here. If you could say oh something right here, right now to the city of Calgary, whether it's something you miss, something you love, whatever the case may be, what would you say to the city right now? I was just saying that, you know, we've had to make some difficult choices uh, in the service of something greater than ourselves. And what makes this city so special is that we are all wanting to make those decisions and it just makes me so very proud to be a part of this city. Eric, very well done on that video. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show this afternoon. Beautiful. Thanks so much for having me. Have a great day. And you can follow Eric at Eric underscore A underscore Gonzalez for more and to see that video itself. We've been trying to get Todd Hirsch on the radio the last few days because he wrote a really interesting piece around the fourth revolution, the technological revolution, the cyber revolution, whatever you want to call it here. We've, it might be the fourth industrial revolution, to be honest here. And, and a lot of it has to do with some of the things that we're learning through the processes that we're going through with COVID-19. And finally, we got the connection made. Finally, we didn't get any kind of interruptions or anything like that. So, Todd, welcome back to the program. It has certainly been a while. Um, why the fourth industrial revolution in your eyes? Yeah, well, when we think about industrial revolutions, we've been through a few of them in the past. And just to kind of briefly uh, bring the listeners up to speed, obviously, the, the first industrial revolution was the so the mechanical age in the in the 1800s in, in England, and all of us would have studied that in social studies. The electrical revolution, the early 1900s, that brought electrical power to businesses and to homes. That that brought in another a round of, of uh, industrial revolution. The digital revolution, that is the one we're sort of at the tail end of, or maybe still in. That kind of came in the 60s and 1970s with the uh, age of computers. But now for the last uh, decade or so, we've been moving into the cyber revolution. This is the fourth industrial revolution. And I think sometimes when these new technologies, uh, things like artificial intelligence, things like blockchain, things like uh, cyber identities, uh, machine learning, all of these things we hear so much about. But I think very few of us have a really good grasp of how they are about to revolutionize our economy. I think the COVID crisis that we are living through right now, as as painful and, and, and horrific and, and uh, terrible as it is, I think this is going to give us a nudge that we need in the right direction to embrace some of these cyber technologies and, in fact, allow us to uh, benefit from the full productivity of, of these technologies. I know that a lot of people, especially bosses, kind of sat there and went, I don't know about this whole working from home thing. We're not going to get anything done. Do you think that 
you know, even simple things like that in the office are going to change after we have at least a little bit of a a window, a snapshot into how we handled this through the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. About 25% estimate of Canadians are able to work remotely. Um, So I guess we shouldn't be, you know, we shouldn't talk about everyone is working from home. It's only about a quarter of people. Uh, The other 75% can't work at home. They have to be on a job site. But for the 25% who are able to work remotely, I think it is giving their employers and their bosses, you know, the nudge in the right direction to say, you don't actually need to supervise all of your employees in the in the cubicle farms that you know a lot of office workers live in. Uh, but letting go of that, it's almost a, a sense of control. This idea that we have to be supervising, walking up and down the the aisles at work to make sure people's heads are down. In fact, uh, if we liberate workers and trust them. Uh, to get their work done unsupervised, maybe on a time schedule that works for them. The COVID-19 crisis is, you know, testing us in real time. Can we make this work? And I think for a lot of employers, uh, they'll find out that they can. Todd, I wanted to talk a little bit about the workforce side of it as well here, because I feel like we're seeing a bit of a revolution when it comes to even businesses going, maybe you can get a little bit more done at home. And on the flip side, workers are starting to talk about it from a a work-life balance perspective. That's right. And I think, you know, we talk about work-life balance, but more of the conversation is moving towards this idea of work-life integration. And there you start to see, you know, this working from home. You might be trying to uh, do homeschooling with your young kids, trying to get some work done, trying to think about the evening meal, trying to think about all of these different things. This is really integrating your work and your life. Uh, And as long as one does not sort of Uh, supersede the other one. I think integrating work life is something that the COVID crisis is teaching a lot of those workers who are now working from home. Do you think that this might actually reframe the conversation around even other things like say education? All of a sudden there's some some ideas that might be thrown into the into the fire here. Yeah, absolutely. Education is is kind of a tricky one because I think everyone would, well, I shouldn't say everyone would agree. Most people would agree that, you know, face-to-face learning, interacting with other students in, you know, the K-12 system or the post-secondary system, there is still something about face-to-face encounters that you can't replicate. However, I do think that there are online tools that we may not have been harnessing to their full extent. And again, the COVID crisis, as, as horrible as it is, I think is forcing people to reimagine what do we mean by education? How can we maybe use some of these tools to augment, not replace, but to augment the face-to-face in-classroom interactions that students are already getting? So I think it is another nudge in the right direction to help us think more broadly about these technologies that we have available. And even the way that we go about our routines when it comes to, say, traveling, you point out, hey, you know what, maybe there's less of an onus on having to do business to work, travel, for example, or, you know, even the eat, all-you-can-eat buffets. I mean, there's so many different things yeah. that are all of a sudden going to change. I look at the one uh, grocery stores. They've got the one-ways going down each aisle now. I wouldn't be opposed to them doing that all the time from here on out. 
Yeah, I was thinking about that at the grocery store the other day, too, or the plexiglass screens. Mm -hmm. Uh, Are they going to come down in six months or or 12 months, or is this going to be sort of a new permanent feature? Uh, I don't know. We might look back on it one day and think, isn't it crazy that we would all go to a salad bar and, you know, 100 people using the same pair of tongs with no gloves or protection? Um, You know, and I hope we don't get into some dystopian world where we're all living in fear, because I don't think we need to do that. But I do think this COVID situation is raising our awareness of, you know, what's around us, uh, who's around us, how we're interacting with our physical environment, hopefully in a positive way and not in a negative, fearful way. But I think there are some permanent changes in in, um, consumer behavior and business behavior. You touched on business travel. I think a lot of companies, you know, uh, I think for a while anyway, gone are the days where employees might be just you know, put on a plane for uh, sent to Toronto overnight for a two-hour meeting, mm-hmm. uh, because in fact we can realize we realize now actually this way way less expensive and and maybe just as efficient doing it online. There's some really interesting new norms that we're all going to be kind of feeling out together, and I'm really looking for. I like chaos. Maybe that's just me, but I, I like shaking things <laughs> up. So uh, I love the piece. I appreciate your time as always, Todd. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Joe. Great to talk to you. Even if all the green lights were given, and even if you were allowed to go to your favorite sporting event, would you? That's the question that's kind of lingering on a lot of people's minds. Are you ready to sit shoulder to shoulder with your fellow fans and scream and yell and holler and all that interesting stuff? Well, there's some interesting stats coming out of Angus Reid today, who's done another one of their polls. And Dave Korsinski joining us, research director with Angus Reid. And and Dave, give us a bit of a a look-see here into what you found out, especially for those who are thinking about, you know, maybe that one day a couple of months down the road where, you know, we can maybe see some NHL, maybe some some basketball returning or even some 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 football. In order to really ascertain that we actually asked we said you know suppose that you're it's it's october uh when the nhl usually starts up when the nba starts up and somebody gives you a free ticket uh are you going to that game uh or are you thinking twice about it or is that is that a non-starter uh and we find that um 28 of canadians uh they they say that they would go they're pretty confident that by the fall things will be in a place where they can comfortably go to a game. So a, a pretty, a, a small minority, uh, 40% say that they would, they would have to kind of look at the situation. They would think twice, but they would, they would want to go. Um, but they're just not confident in saying that they would 32%. So a really significant portion of the country, one in three say that they definitely wouldn't even consider it. And, uh, so we're talking in, you know, four or five months, there's a, considerable portion of the country and 25% of the avid sports fans, as we've categorized them, people who, who love their sports and follow them very closely, a quarter of them say that they wouldn't go to again this fall. So there really is a lot of hesitation um, in, in returning to arenas as much as people are, are really looking to get sports back into their lives as quickly as they can. It's really fascinating that way is when you think about the overall fan experience and you think, okay, well, usually you're sitting shoulder to shoulder with your your favorite fans in your favorite section of your local barn or your football stadium, and maybe not, right? And that brings up a whole lot of questions from ownership perspective right on down to the fans. 
Yeah, you know, you think of a situation where maybe it's it's October and you're at the home opener and your team scores a goal in overtime. Usually that means high-fiving strangers, maybe hugging a couple of people, maybe celebrating after, uh, uh, just kind of a, a parade downtown to wherever people are going. These are all things that are kind of outside of the realm of possibility right now and people see as a long way the way. Um, a lot of municipalities that are saying that they want to open things up are putting that that 50 person cap on on groups um, for the foreseeable future. Uh, so it it puts you in a situation where you're envisioning these empty arenas. Um, and we asked people about that concept and and said, you know, probably we can't go to games anytime soon. Um, how do you feel about? games coming coming back uh with no crowds and the kind of the atmosphere that that would that would create and for 29 percent of canadians they say that that's that's great they, whatever gets the games back on tv they'll figure it out as they go they're not really too worried that jumps up to 37 percent among the hardcore sports fans but for for most of the population uh it does really take a bit of the shine off 59 percent say that's fine it's better than nothing but it's hardly ideal. It's not. It's it's going to be weird, and I think that's a challenge for the broadcasters, and also maybe an opportunity to be creative and and kind of simulate the fan experience. Uh, however, they come up with that, you know, maybe they maybe they're pumping in uh, crowd noise for for the home audience. They wouldn't want to probably do that in the arena to distract the players. But uh, I think there are some some interesting ways that this might be approached. Angus Reed, Research Director Dave Korsinski, joining us on the program as we talk a little sports and how sports fans are feeling about empty arena games, whether they want to actually go in person once the doors are open, et cetera, et cetera. And Dave, we are the home of the Calgary Stampeders, so I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about the feelings around football right now and how Canadians are, are dealing with and feeling about the CFL and NFL seasons should they come to pass. Yeah, and that's a, that's a, a real disappointment for a lot of people. You know, I was reading about uh, Saskatchewan and just talking about how the money that would be lost from from hosting the Grey Cup and how much that community looks forward to that. Um, Alberta is uh, we'll call we'll call you guys a close second in terms of uh, your disappointment if if the CFO were to be canceled um, because the prairies of uh, Saskatchewan, Manitoba. Uh, 61%, 63% uh, say that they would be disappointed, which is, in, in both cases, twice as many uh, Prairie residents who, as, say, that of the NFL. Uh, so there would be a, a lot of sad people if the CFL were shut down uh, compared to the American counterpart. In Alberta, 45% say that they would be disappointed if the CFL had to, had to shut down operations. And 37% actually say that of the NFL, which is the highest mark in the country. So now Albertans a significant portion uh, really appreciate their football, whether it's Canadian or American. And uh, I think the, the NFL has a little bit more time. You know, the CFL was supposed to kick off in in four weeks, I think, on June 11th, and, and that's not going to be the case anymore. So a lot of people, particularly in the middle of the country, thinking, you know, hopefully we can sort something out and get those games played because uh, it would be it would be really disappointing, I think, uh, for those communities. And... You know, it's it's going to be hopefully uh, with the Grey Cup festivities and such. It'll be rescheduled for the people uh, just to your east uh, who are really looking forward to that, and probably wouldn't be able to have much of a party anyways, even if the games are played. 
probably to no one's surprise as well. About three in five, 59% say they miss hockey the most. For the full details, you can go to my Twitter, at Calgary Today. I'll be posting a link momentarily. Dave, thanks so much for joining us on the show this afternoon. reading a really interesting article over the last day or so and the title is forget pro and college sports why the absence of youth sports might have the biggest impact of all of course with regards to the COVID-19 pandemic and I wanted to bring in somebody locally to talk about those impacts and we found our man we were going to have him on yesterday and then we got uh, backtracked by Premier Jason Kenney's news conference so Dale Henwood is the outgoing president of the Canadian Sport Institute Calgary and Dale thanks so much for joining us i wanted to ask right off the bat here is what do you foresee the impact being here locally on the amateur and youth sports side of things well i i think there will be uh, lots of implications i guess we we don't know exactly what's going to happen we know that you know a lot of the arenas and gymnasiums are kind of in phase three but my sense is that um there's many organizations today that are in jeopardy. Uh, they're not getting, as an example, provincial support. They're not getting revenue from membership fees or program fees. They're not holding events where at times they can make a few dollars. So I think I think there will be implications there. But then secondly, if they can open, um, will parents send their kids? Mm-hmm. Will, will you enroll your kids in summer camps? Um, you know, so that's I guess that's the other thing we don't know right now. Uh, if I'm a facility operator, I'm saying, okay, we can we can open and have camps, but our kind of instructor to participant ratio is going to be different because we have to keep more distance. That means there's less revenue. Um, you know, is it even feasible for me to offer camps this summer? So I think there's lots of things that we have to look at. It's not going to be an easy to open up um, and not going to be quick i don't think to open up for youth sports and i think they're going to be impacted definitely one of the things that was brought to my attention really early on in this is the trickle down effect for sports other than hockey let's say we got the green light in october say well a lot of those sports that uh would be sharing facilities with hockey i'll look at soccer and lacrosse as a couple of big examples all of a sudden they've lost an entire season whereas hockey gets to kind of have a bit of a uh, a, a bit of a monopoly i suppose on on the year that has been do you see the different organizations needing to maybe work together towards maybe fulfilling some of those sports needs from other sports towards one another? Well, I think, first of all, in the hockey situation, um, again, I don't know whether you're going to see what we would call quote unquote normal hockey. Maybe it's only going to be three on three hockey all year just because of distancing and no contact. I, you know, we don't know that yet, but I would say um, I think, Overall, sport is going to be a big part of the recovery plans. I think it's going to be a critical part of the recovery from the standpoint of the, the physical, the mental health, the economic, the social. Um, and so we got to figure out some way for all of these other sports, the non-ice sports or the non-winter sports, I guess, to figure out how they can operate and, and get kids engaged again um, without losing their entire year. So mm-hmm. that's that's going to be a real challenge for sure. You mentioned the socialization aspect of it, the mental health side of it as well. I mean, this isn't something that is just going to affect the athletes. We're talking volunteers, coaches, managers, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, even the adults are feeling the pinch. Well, it is. And the minor sports system is 
you know, the strength of it, the volunteers. So that's a real, a real issue in terms of uh, where we're headed. So I think that um, looking at, you know, the, the big impact, not just on the athletes, but as you said, on, on the coach and, and on the, some other volunteers that have really devoted uh, significant parts of their life to this. And this, this might be a year where they're not doing very much. And then does that mean if they've got other things now to fill their time, will they come back as volunteers in the future? Those are all unknown right now. Does that put a little bit of the onus maybe on some of those volunteers, on some of those coaches, on some of those parents that if they are dead set on making sure their their kids or their their minor athletes are involved in their sport to try to find those resources that uh, that can kind of help their kids through and continue to train in this isolation? I've seen it in different sports, but maybe there needs to be a little bit more of a focus on that. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I, I again, I, I don't have anything to back this up, but, uh, but I, I think you're going to see um, the initial return to sport will be more at a community level, and then slowly get back into you know organized sports. Um, I think you're going to see individuals training together before you see teams training together. You're going to see um, individuals before you see combat sports training together. So. Those are just all, you know, people are making decisions right now on programming without without knowing what the summer might look like and without knowing full information there. But they're having to make some decisions on what they anticipate the future is going to be. So how they work together better, uh, that might be a great outcome of this, is that we have to work together better to figure out how do we provide these opportunities for our kids. Do you foresee that being a challenge because there have been sort of those silos in place for so long where some sports don't necessarily play well with others? Well, it's it's always a challenge. Um, but I would say if, if we don't adapt in this situation, then maybe a lot more people are going to go down rather than, than just a few isolated sports. I, I think it's critical that we collaborate and partner a lot more. And this maybe has forced us to do that. Um, and, and I would say it, it's likely needed anyway. I think we have a lot of, in Alberta, we have a lot of different uh, sport organizations and recreation organizations. And I think there is some opportunity now to say, how do we merge some of those? Or how do we amalgamate some of those? Or how do we collaborate better? So I think that can be a real positive outcome of the situation we're in. How challenging is it from your perspective seeing everybody try to come up with a game plan when you don't necessarily know what the next week is going to look like, let alone, say, two or three or four months down the road? Well, so we have at the Canadian Sport Institute, we are looking at uh, recovery plans. We're looking at, you know, indoor. We're looking at outdoor. Um, we're looking at making sure that we have spacing between our equipment and, but we still need to get all our plans, my understanding anyway, all our plans approved by, uh, the health authorities, whether that's municipal or, or provincial. So we are developing plans with the sports and everyone is, every sport is a little bit different in terms of what you can do. Uh, so we are, I'm going to say it's taken a lot of time to figure out how we're going to do this. And then there's a big cost. Like if we have to have masks and temperature gauges and, and, you know, new sanitizing um, materials uh, every time there's a a new team comes in or a new sport comes in, there's a a big increase in the cost there. And that likely will go on to the, to the participant. How concerned are you about that trickle down effect, that cost barrier that is going to invariably get in the way for a lot of parents? Yeah, so I would say, first of all, just based on the economy, um, the affordability of uh, 
getting your kids involved in sport will be the first issue. Secondly, if if the costs increase because of the health issues, I think that even makes it more of a barrier for people to get involved. Um, and then, as I said, I'm not sure um, parents, if they're going to get their kids involved, they're going to want to make sure there are protective measures in there for their kids. And, and I don't really know right now whether they will want their kids to get involved in quote-unquote organized sport or whether they'll let them just stay at a, a real low-level community community uh, bases and, and just get them outside running around and being active mm-hmm. as opposed to being in organized programs. Dale, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you, Joe. One of the most recurrent emails we've been getting in the newsroom over the last little while here has been about the disappointment from high school seniors who are going to be missing out on a lot of those things coming up at the end of June that they look forward to for, let's face it, most of their schooling careers. It's called graduation. It's called grad parties. It's all those kinds of fun things. Well, there is a bit of a gap being slim down just a little bit thanks to a local group who usually hosts student and parent meetings to inspire each group to grow stronger relationships with one another one another now they're turning to virtual grads joining us is michael chesson who is executive director for access 52 and, and michael walk us through these virtual grads yeah absolutely so we in our work that we do uh, we spend about 90 uh, percent of our time speaking to students parents and teachers across the country with our uh, with our registered charity that we founded. And when COVID hit, it, I mean, the pandemic just kind of rocked so many people and it was heartbreaking on so many levels. But because of our heart for the, for the students across the country and especially within Calgary, um, you know, what really kind of stirred and, and broke our heart even more were the, was the graduation class of 2020. And so we decided to take all of the things that we've learned over the years and, and say, what can we do to help? And, and Joe, what, what we decided to do is we were going to create a short film, maybe about 15 or 20 minutes to uh, just inspire this graduation class. And so when we started to do this film, uh, we recorded it all in one day. And I said, wait a minute, what if we took components of this and we kind of created a template for schools if they found it helpful? to create a virtual experience so that um, so th- these grads could have something. I mean, it's a memorable moment. And the thing that shook me the most was when this grad class started life, they kind of started in in a not the best of way. That was kind of when 9-11 hit. So mm-hmm. I think that shook a lot of people. And then they're ending this, this uh, kind of moment in their life in a pan- pandemic. And so their two bookends of their life was kind of like, man, this doesn't seem like the, the best scenario, but I think that setback is actually going to become the set up for a life like no other. And if we could do something to kind of help, uh, you know, put a pillar that that can be a good thing, man, I think that would be worthy of our time. That would be worthy of the work of our charity. And um, so far, it has been amazing. That's been one of the things that probably every couple of days or so we get an email from a grad saying, I can't believe our graduation processions and stuff have been canceled. And so to be able to provide something sort of resembling what they would be going through or at least giving them that visual reminder that, hey, this is an important part of their lives has to be front and center for what you're trying to do. Absolutely. And and I, and I think the rhythm has changed for all of us. I mean, it, I think it's put into sharp focus. Uh, the things that are important to us and maybe the things that were always important that maybe we've just kind of lost sight of. 
And so, you know, with these virtual graduations, again, it's just our attempt to to serve and, and, and to help if if it's needed and if it's uh, received. Um, but it's going to look different. I mean, of course, we have traditions and we're learning that from school grad councils like we want this. And those are we're trying to do the best that we can to make it customizable. Um, but at, at the end of the day, who is this for? And this is for the graduating class of 2020. And, and I believe it, it is going to be a, a huge moment that's going to be talked about for years. And what they do from this, this again, I, I say it again, it's the set up for a life like no other. And um, we're super proud and thankful to be a part of it. Michael Chesson is joining us, the executive director for Access 52, putting together some virtual grads this year because a lot of graduates can't, all graduates can't do that usual thing, walking across the stage and moving the uh, the thing over the top of the, the, the hat and all that kind of fun stuff. Man, it's been a long time since I've done that, clearly. Uh, and, and Michael, we were talking before about how this is such a, an, a great opportunity, but it also is kind of interactive as well because you have the kids taking part in it where they got to set up camera angles and they were born with phones in their hands. So they're probably teaching you a thing or two as well. Well, I'll be honest, we're, we're learning lots from them. And you know, we, we had created a, a bit of a, a message from, from a stage uh, to create that kind of virtual grad kind of moment. And, you know, that that was one thing when they were when they came into the world, the iPhone wasn't was just now coming online and YouTube wasn't even there yet. So uh, this is all of their world that they know. And uh, from the technology point of view, and I think technology is a great thing. Uh, there's some good moments in that. We also know that there's negative. But I've always learned this, Joe. If you if you can shine even just a little bit of light in any darkness, it will dispel the darkness around it. And so that's what we're trying to kind of build up. Yes, we can be upset. Yes, we can be, oh, man, and, and you know, how, how do we get through this? Or we can find a way. So we're going to find a way or we're going to find an excuse. And this class is finding a way. What's it been like from your perspective to watch those light bulbs go on, to watch those moments of joy as they, they get to take part in something that is so totally unique? I think it's I think it's bringing people together. I mean, we've heard that over and over again over this these past few weeks of we're in this together. Uh, for me, I, I think that that slogan is is catchy. It, it kind of makes you feel good. But I've always kind of asked, what does that really mean? I mean, honestly, what does that mean? And to, to me, it, it sh it's teaching me what what that looks like and what that truly means. Uh, you know, in our work with um, students across the country, one of the most unique things that we do is we've gotten the kids to write us letters telling us things that they wish their parents knew. And so conversations were always a big thing. And, you know, what it's what it's showing me is that these conversations that need to happen and, and need to bring us together, this is the moment that it's happening. And when we can rally around kind of moments that, uh, that, that, that are the milestones in life, I think it just gives us the, the confidence to, uh, to lean into it together. And together we're always going to be better. And so as we kind of, you know, open our hands out and stretch our hands out to say, hey, we're, we can be maybe a part of a, a solution to help and watching how that help inspires, you know, school principals and school communities and uh, families within those communities. It's just it, it's just it kind of brings me to a point of like, wow, we get to be a part of this. And people may not never ever know our name, may not ever remember us. But for us to be able to kind of stand with them to say, hey, we were a part of that together. That's what I think is resonating really loud in my heart and in the heart of our team and all of our donors and sponsors that are helping make make this possible. 
You can check them out, accessmygrad.com or access52.com. Michael, thank you so much for joining us here on the show this afternoon. You're so welcome, and you keep up the great work. Thanks again to all of our guests for joining us on the show this week, and thanks to executive producer Mike Tarasco for not only lining up our interviews, but for putting together this episode of the podcast. And as always, thanks to all of you for downloading and listening. If you could do us a huge favor, leave us a rating and review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Those kinds of actions help spread the word. Until next time, thanks again for listening to Calgary Today.